When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. The bairn has gone to nursery, the pot of Yorkshire is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we haphazardly label as the noughties, as the 2000s and to the football of its time. This is the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast episode 49, one away from half a century. Today we're going to be looking at Deadline Day, the best and worst of Deadline Day, the best and worst transfers of Deadline Day to as well as potentially a flop of his own in the Premier League, Andrei Shevchenko. Looking back at happier times at Dynamo Kiev, AC Milan, and of course, that tumultuous spell at Chelsea. If you are enjoying the show, the podcast that we put out, please leave a lovely five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like bonus content such as, such as podcasts like this, please subscribe to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. And for the price of a pint that is three pounds here at least you can get daily podcast gaming content etc etc let's kick on with today's show so deadline day is almost upon us and we've got to celebrate some of the best and the worst of deadline day of years gone by are you a fan of deadline day let me know if you are or not on twitter at what if underscore youtube for that one so let's start off with the best why not and a few of you suggested these. This man is Wayne Rooney, of course. James, FT LOL podcast, fantastic podcast. Dean Pope and Matty Mack all said Wayne Rooney. The year was 2004. Everton were forced to sell Wayne Rooney because of a superb year of 2004. The fact that Wayne Rooney was one of the brightest, best young talents in world football and they needed the money. They got £20 million up front and another £7 million, which... You must say, surely got uh, paid to Everton at the end of it uh, in clauses because of the successful career that Wayne Rooney had at Manchester United. And it's safe to say that this one panned out, that it was a successful transfer. 13 years 
at Old Trafford. Marked his debut with a hat-trick, a hat-trick no less in the Champions League against Fenerbahce one month into his Manchester United career and ultimately became a multiple-time Premier League winner in 2007, 2008, 2009, 2011, 2013. Won the Champions League in 2008, appeared in three finals, of course. Won the FA Cup in 2016, won the League Cup numerous times, won everything you can win. And ended his time at Manchester United in 2017 with the Europa League, of course, completing a near clean sweep of all the trophies. And he ended up scoring 253 goals for the club, which turned out to be a record beating Sir Bobby Charlton. A record he would also beat Sir Bobby Charlton for was the England goal scoring record, of course. Memorable goals you may remember all the headers. In the 2009-10 season, of course, the overhead kick against Manchester City in 2011. The thunderous volley against um, Newcastle there in one of his first few seasons. The halfway line goal against West Ham, which volleyed still stacks up for me as one of the best halfway line goals ever. And just so many fantastic goals from the man. So many fantastic performances. The one at West Ham where... United overturn a two-goal lead to win 4-2. He swears into a camera, gets a ban for it. But regardless, he was absolutely superb for Manchester United and England, uh, the best striker of his generation, in between Kane and Shearer for that one as well. He's since ended his career via return to Goodison, to MLS at Washington, D.C., at D.C. United, and at Derby County, where at the time of me speaking these words, he's still manager who knows, very tumultuous at Pride Park. And at Manchester United, all in all, a goal every two and a bit games, which doesn't sound great for a goal scorer. Not the most prolific goal scorer at times is Rooney, um, but he did sacrifice himself for the team. He played on the wing when it was as a winger, not as an inside forward. Dropped deeper into midfield as his career went on. But in the end of the day, he did score double figures in every single league season, with the exception of the last two when he was playing more of a 10, more of him even as a 6 or an 8 at times for Man United as he dropped deeper and deeper under Van Gaal, Wayne Rooney, David Morris, etc. His best goal-scoring seasons when he was the main man. So 2009-10, which was the aforementioned season where he headed every single goal when he became a penalty box striker in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo, who was sold to Real Madrid. And in the 2011-12 season, started off that season with a house on fire, scored the uh, hat-trick against Arsenal in the famous 8-2. Um, and that was the season before Robin Van Persie came in. So again, after that, he was relegated to secondary striker, really behind Robin Van Persie, who would, of course, get the golden boot and get title number 24, Manchester United, in there. Another suggestion, Meza Ozil from Anglo-Italian pod and... He left to Arsenal under a cloud, it has to be said, unfortunately. And it has to be remembered that the first real bit of money, really, that Arsenal spent in the 21st century was on Ozil in 2013. So let's charter the rise from the Emirates to Ozil, which is 2006 to 2013, seven years. The net spend for Arsenal as a football club was minus £81 million. And the fact that they kept in the Champions League were fairly semi-competitive, you might say, is absolutely astounding, really, in a mark of Arsene Wenger, really. The biggest transfers, biggest transfer fees in that uh, seven-year period was 
Santi Cazorla for 19 million, Andrea Shevin for 16.5, Sami Nasri's for 16 million, Pod- Podolski, Lucas Podolski for 15 million, and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain for 13 million. With by the time Mesut Ozil signed, Juan, Juan Antonio Reyes was still their highest transfer from 2004. And Urza was magical at his absolute best. He was called the assist king for a reason. And how he doesn't have the assist record for a single season in the Premier League is anybody's guess, really. The season where he had 16 assists by Christmas is absolutely ridiculous numbers, really. Um, still fell short of the record of 20, which is now equaled by Kevin De Bruyne and Thierry Henry. Kevin De Bruyne who equaled it once. Mesut Urza was being cast aside by Arsenal during lockdown. And that is probably where Mesut Ozil will unfortunately be remembered by Arsenal and Arsenal fans. This is where his career boiled down to the last few years and he's often seen as a scapegoat for Arsenal's miseries and a lot of miseries they have had since the uh, move to the Emirates. Unfortunately, the four FA Cups in in the past seven years, they've won, which is their only successes recently but I think if they did have, if they would have won the Premier League in 2016 it'd have been loved regardless of uh, of what he had done said etc etc whether or not he's right or not um social media gets painted with a bad brush uh, does Ozil maybe uh, in terms of his assists for the second half of that season which may have cost them that Premier League in 2016 some people blame Ozil some people blame Giroud for not scoring a lot probably somewhere in between and I don't think um, Ozil's body language, I, th- I put it in a bracket with like a Dimitar Berbatov who walks around like he doesn't care, perhaps doesn't track back, perhaps doesn't show like he's being busy. We all work with someone who uh, <laughs> pretends that they're busy and gets praised for it when uh, they're not doing anything at all. I know I do. <laughs> but And then obviously Ozil's quite nonchalant and he gets blamed for not be seen, not being perceived to be putting any effort in when actually he was one of Arsenal's star players for quite a number of years and unfortunately it's quite sad of how his uh, Arsenal career has ended but you have to say in the midst of that very successful in terms of goals and assists which we all know that is how we measure a person's success in a football landscape anyway. So from Arsenal to Chelsea which is exactly what Olivier Giroud did in uh, 2018 George Spencer and Hazard tweets 10 suggested Olivier Giroud and of course Olivier Giroud January 2018 moved from Arsenal to Chelsea shocking that Arsenal would even allow Giroud to go anywhere else please if you're an Arsenal fan it must be so degrading um we've seen we'll see in another example in a minute also from Hazard tweets 10 of another example of Arsenal to Chelsea and how it was a success but um Olivier Giroud kind of had an up and down time, not really favoured under Frank Lampard until he was pushed to be favoured in uh, 2020. Um, but the year before that, I think the severity of the transfer for Ars- from Arsenal's perspective anyway came true in um, the 18-month period where Giroud scored 11 goals in the Europa League season, 11 of 36 of Chelsea's goals in that campaign, one of which was, of course, in the opener, in the final, in Baku against, of course... Arsenal. Um, we've discussed on the show that he's very underrated, vastly underrated. Um, perhaps, <laughs> maybe he's uh, getting a bit of stock through social media, through all these highlight reels of goals that he scores. Um, but yeah, there is a school of thought that he's over uh, overrated or underrated. Uh, the Scorpion kick that he scored for Arsenal, to be fair, was a fantastic goal. But 
there was a lot of clamour in his Chelsea days to be picked ahead of certain names like Tammy Abraham, etc. And um, a solid all-round centre-forward, I think, personally, is as rated as he probably is. Um, speaking of Arsenal to Chelsea, Ashley Cole, some 12 years prior. So Arsenal, they never learn, do they? They just mess it up every single time, be it losing talent to Manchester United in Robin Van Persie. Losing talent to Chelsea in Ashley Cole, Olivier Giroud, oh, Man City, be it Sammy Inazu, Gail Clichy, Emmanuel Adebayo, the list just goes on and on and on, doesn't it, unfortunately? Uh, you could say Liverpool in there as well with Oxlade-Chamberlain, but that hasn't really come to pass in any real way, really, apart from a Premier League uh, last year. So picture it, a swap deal is going to go down. You've got a 25-year-old best player in the world in his position. You've got a 29-year-old centre-half, similar Position can play left back as well, to be fair. It's kind of on the back nine, not even in the top 10, 15 in his position. Um, you sell, you get that guy and you sell the best left back in the world. You get £5 million for it as well. That's exactly what Arsenal did when they let Ashley Cole go and brought in William Gallas. And most criminally of all, perhaps, um, gave William Gallas a number 10 shirt, which as a centre half, Still doesn't sit right for me. Also see Khalid Boularouz around the same time getting number nine for Chelsea. Something was going on in the water in London at that time, I think. Um, so Ashley Cole probably could have, couldn't have timed it a bit be- better himself, really. But to be fair, he doesn't win a third Premier League until 2010. And I think that would be the only Premier League he did win at Chelsea, of course, when he left. Um, Jose Mourinho came back and they won the Premier League again in 2015. And of course, he arrived just after just after the um, Premier Leagues in 2005 and 2006, obviously after winning the Premier League in 2002 and 2004 with Arsenal, which doesn't sound as though he's hugely successful, but he did win four more FA Cups, one more League Cup, and of course the Holy Grail, perhaps the competition that swayed his thinking um, in the first place moving from Arsenal, the Champions League. Six years on from losing in the final to Barcelona, he would win a Champions League in Munich against Bayern for Chelsea. Four years on from reaching a final against Manchester United and of course losing there. Spent six years at Arsenal, played 228 matches, eight seasons at Chelsea, 338 matches. And on the face of it, I think he is now vindicated for that transfer, even if he may have gone about it a bit uh, slyly. But um, I can't blame him. When he looks back, he won't have regrets of how his professional career went, I don't think. Um, and the fact that uh, Chelsea only had to pay five million for a swap deal involving the best left back in the world is just pure insanity. Um, when Arsenal ended up getting a centre half who probably had about four years left in the tank at the very very top level, it still astounds me to this day. And um, Cole, yeah, will be very vindicated. At a time really where Chelsea were throwing money around like nobody's business and. Of course, Claude Makalele, another suggestion from Hazard Tweets 10. I think he might be a Chelsea fan, don't you? Uh, so when a role is named after you, you know you've done good. And uh, Makalele was signed for £16 million, a bargain now, as Ashley Cole was, of course. And it took away the balance from Real Madrid and added it straight to that Chelsea midfield where Makalele would subsidise the attacking likes of Michael Ballack, Lampard, even Thiago for a little bit there as well. And he would win almost everything at Chelsea, two Premier Leagues, an FA Cup, a League Cup, more than he would have done if he'd have stayed at Real Madrid in the uh, in the same time frame there, coming off the back of winning the league in 2003. 
They would only win the league again, Real Madrid, in 2007. They wouldn't go anywhere near the uh, Champions League title again in this time frame. I think they won one or two Copa Del Reyes, but nothing the likes of what Chelsea were doing. They were, Chelsea were definitely a team on the up whilst Real Madrid in between presidential reigns of Florentino Perez were sagging slightly, especially in Europe with that clean run of uh, round of 16 exits akin to a bit like um, Arsenal a decade on um, which is not something you want to shout about really and at 16 million he is a bargain yeah because he's one of the best midfielders of the 2000s and like I say he's got a role named after him now the Makalele role fantastic um, defensive midfielder as we know another player with Chelsea heritage is Tori Andrea Flo but this is not what we're discussing here um, he was an insanely good bargain for Chelsea at £300,000 in 1997. Won a cup double with Rangers in 2002 and then he got poached by Sunderland. This is a bad transfer though. This is not the Sunderland we see today though. This is a Sunderland that finished 7th in successive seasons at the turn of millennium after being promoted. Um, Torrey Andre Flo was deemed adequate enough to replace club legend, later club chairman Niall Quinn, um, four goals in 29 matches later. Torrey Andre Flo was getting signed for Siena in uh, Serie A. Uh, it was not at his Chelsea level. He would return to England in 2006 for Leeds. Who remembers that? Not that many. Who remembers the spell at MK Dons after that? Absolutely nobody. Um, and let's go back to a few good suggestions. Um, and Thanks for Andrew McGill for suggesting Tori Andre Flo there. And Harry Holland suggests Nemanja Vidic for Manchester United as a good transfer. And one of the best bargains in Premier League history for me. Signed from Spartak Moscow in January 2006 for absolute peanuts alongside Patrice Ever, who had a bit more experience, uh, got to a Champions League final with Monaco in 2004. But Vidic here, coming from Spartak Moscow, very little money spent on him, turned out to be one of the best centre-halves in Premier League history. And a rock at the back, perfect, perfect uh, partnership with Rio Ferdinand. Personally, maybe a bit biased here, but in my favourite Premier League centre-back partnership. We may do a little segment on that as the season kicks into gear. And Vidic was, as I say, up there for me with Adams, Terry, Campbell, Ferdinand, some may say Virgil van Dijk as well, um, as the best Premier League centre-halves of all time. Uh, a few shout-outs as well to the likes of Carlos Tevez to West Ham. Illegal, as though it may have been, <laughs> but because of third-party ownership rules, but Tevez ultimately kept them up and saved West Ham a lot of money in doing so um, in 2006-07 season. Also, I'm surprised that nobody suggested Luis Suarez to Liverpool. Almost got them dreaming in the 2013-14 season, obviously. Slightly canonised by some, obviously, up, up and down to say the least. Racial slurs to then almost winning a Premier League in the same breath in what was a four-year period, three, four-year period. Um, had it all, Suarez's time at Anfield, really, um, for good and bad. And obviously goes down as one of the best uh, centre-forwards in the Premier League's history. Maybe top 10, perhaps. Maybe if he had a bit more longevity, maybe. Obviously had a bite-in scandal in there as well. Can't forget about that one. Um, a couple of Spurs suggestions here from me. Robbie Keane, absolute scoring machine. Uh, so we did documented a couple of weeks ago on this show 
um, at least in his first six-year spell as well. Jermaine Defoe to Spurs, see above. Although I think that may have been around seven or eight years for Defoe uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. And under the radar a little bit since it was... Well, I wasn't so sure if it was deadline day or not, but apparently it is. Hugo Lloris to Tottenham, captain, main man, leader, consistent for a while. Probably over the course of a decade, one of the best Premier League goalkeepers of the 2010s, you may suggest, maybe David De Gea, maybe Hugo Lloris. Dimitar Berbatov to Manchester United as well. Wasn't a bad player for a while and dragged United through with his goals in the uh, 2010-11 season. Scored five against Blackburn, couple of hat-tricks in there as well. The 3-2 win against Liverpool at the start of the season, of course. And if he's to become successful as a manager at Arsenal, Mikel Arteta to Arsenal, because that's what birthed his affinity with Arsenal. And obviously that came after the 8-2 drubbing where we discussed <laughs> the four signings made in that uh, flurry after the 8-2 defeat. Mikel Arteta, Permit, Saka, Andre Santos, and I'm forgetting the other one, Park Chu Young. How could I forget him? And uh, one final suggestion, not a transfer, but uh, says a lot about deadline day to me anyway. FT Law Podcasts suggests purple dildo to Alan Irving's ear. Alan Irving, if you don't know, is the uh, Sky Sports News reporter who got a dildo shoved in his ear live on air. And this for me, <laughs> this for me, Matt, the beginning of the end of deadline day, um, it reached a of turning point at least from a, a producer standpoint at Sky really and this is the end of where fans who were getting a little bit excited about their team making transfers and you've probably seen the image still on Twitter or social media or anywhere really if you're watching it live like I was it was just uh, unbelievable telly TV gold you might say um, this marked the beginning of the end for Deadline Day Deadline Day was notoriously full of non-drama and padding out a full 16 hours as they did with the yellow ties the, the absolute nonsense the you know milking transfer deadline day transfer rumors to the absolute maximum um, but at least with this there was a bit of comedy value uh, and this is probably around the time after this i fell out of love for deadline day the facade was peeled away the dressings no longer mattered the yellow ties certainly didn't matter Transfer season for me is now tainted as Sky Sports goes to a more sensationalist look, I think, over the past few years. And as a whole, now I've probably tried to stay away, away from transfer season, transfer rumours, follow maybe a couple of reliable transfer people on Twitter, and that's about it. That's my start, beginning, middle and end um, of my acknowledgement of transfers wait until the pictures pop up everywhere of the new sign in the shirt that's when i'll believe it um kind of sad in a way but uh, that's the way it goes um maybe that's me entering my 30s soon and uh, being a grumpy old man but uh let's move on to the worst of deadline day let's move on to the worst transfers james suggests falcao to manchester united this looked an absolutely fantastic deal at the time welbeck was gone to arsenal united needed another striker welbeck went to Arsenal scored versus Man United against uh, versus uh, Man United at the in the FA Cup wouldn't do too much there though he wouldn't do too much at Watford and hasn't really done much at Brighton or the friends to do so and Falcao was a world-class striker at the time would do even less than Welbeck and it was the grand scheme the grand plot of Louis van Gaal where they bring in the likes of Ander Herrera Luke Shaw Marcus Rojo Angel Di Maria and Daly Blind and from those names only Shaw remains and after all he was a David Moyes signing before he got sacked 
Falcao scored four Premier League goals. And you would have thought that nobody would have touched him. He obviously had niggling injury issues, was coming off a long layoff before this loan spell. And Chelsea didn't learn their lessons, the lessons of Manchester United the year after. Um, signed him on loan as well, and he scored one goal for Chelsea in the Premier League, which was phenomenal. Um, George Spencer and Hazard tweets 10 suggests, Pape Digiboli Bodji. And remember the name? I can't say I've ever seen him play. I remember the name? I butchered it wholeheartedly there, and I'm very sorry. Um, the price wasn't too offensive for Chelsea from their standpoint. 2.7 million, played in one League Cup game, went out on loan to Bremen, and something must, something magical must have happened in the Bundesliga because a year later, he was sold for a huge profit. Sunderland spent £8 million on him later. Later on that year, typical Sunderland, you may say. Uh, Wikipedia says he's a defender. Um could have been striker for all I know. I don't. I see, I vaguely remember the name. Do not remember the man, the myth, the maverick. Um, left back rings a bell, maybe, but maybe I'm thinking of Baba Rahman, another Chelsea flop, which he may still play at Chelsea. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, speaking of Chelsea flops, Danny Drinkwater also suggested by Hazard tweets ten, discussed on a previous show. This uh, quite recently, absolute disaster. Um, Drinkwater inflated his price a bit like um, N'Golo Kante, but they couldn't be more different at Chelsea, really. Drinkwater had won the Premier League with Leicester and with uh, Kante. Didn't do well too well without the Frenchman afterwards, but that didn't stop Chelsea owner of splurging money on him a couple of seasons later. And currently, Drinkwater is still at Chelsea, as I speak these words. Now scrapping with youngsters, drink driving, fighting in clubs, playing in Papa John's matches for the under-23s. And has played 23 matches for Chelsea. Likely won't play another. Likely to see out the remaining two years on his contract, as it is. Uh, Michael Hector has been suggested by George Spencer. Shout out to George, who is one of our patrons on patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. And Michael Hector to Chelsea. Completely passed me by. He signed from Reading in 2015. Immediately went out on loan to Reading again. Um, not played a single match for Chelsea. Got himself on the... The good old Chelsea loan carousel going to Reading, Eintracht Frankfurt, Hull City, Sheffield Wednesday, before leaving for Fulham in 2019 with Chelsea spinning a quite magnificent £800,000 profit. Ka-ching, laughing all the way to the bank, Chelsea, with this loan scheme that they've got set up. Continuing the theme of Chelsea, Fernando Torres, um, Dean Pope and Harry Holland both suggested this man. Uh, poor Fernando Torres, really. I... Kind of made fun of him a little bit at the time. As time's gone on, I kind of feel sorry for him. Didn't carry on his form from Liverpool, but let's be honest, I think he was way on the downslope in 2010. Uh, was half fit for the World Cup. Probably shouldn't have gone. Should have been rested for the summer. Got carried off in the final. Sadly, didn't play all too much in the tournament that Spain won, of course. And that led into the 2010-11 season where Torres wasn't fully fit. He's got nine goals in 23 games compared to 18 in an injury hit 22 matches the full season previously. And he wouldn't hit double figures in the Premier League ever again. And kind of ironically, even though he's seen as a flop, he scored 45 less Premier League goals in nine more Premier League games, I think. Numbers might be slightly off on that, but it's a, that's the gist of it. Fernando Torres would probably add more memorable moments at Chelsea. Um, the goal against Barcelona. Gary Neville's reaction on commentary, of course. Uh, he scored nine goals in the Europa League winning campaign the year after, won the Champions League, of course. And at Liverpool, 
won absolutely nothing, um, unfortunately for Torres. But at Liverpool, admittedly, he did play better, much better football and um, than he did at Chelsea, of course, before, of, of course, he moved out to uh, back home to Atletico Madrid and saw his career at a Japanese club. My Mac suggests Paul Koncheski and name me a 2000s fullback and Paul Koncheski would be at the tip of your tongue, wouldn't it? Solid at Charlton, solid at West Ham, solid at Fulham. Short time on loan at Spurs, if I do remember correctly as well. So essentially London. <laughs> so when he moved up to Liverpool in 2010, Liverpool were in flux. They were close to administration and he made 15 very unmemorable appearances and left at the end of the season. Uh, when Roy Hodgson, who signed him, of course, uh, was long gone, long in the rearview mirror, sacked in December and replaced by Kenny Dalglish a month later. And Alex Rhodes suggests not a transfer, really, but a very, very fantastic bit of deadline day television, really. Peter Ondenvingi, and what a shambles this was. And this is the comedy section, really. Uh, what do you do if you're a semi-successful mid-table Premier League centre-forward and you're upset with your employer? Do you, A... Angle for a move away to a more prosperous club. B. Spout off on social media about how your club is letting you down. C. Hand in a public transfer request. Or D. Force a move by driving down to the car park of another Premier League club live on television on deadline day. Luckily for all of us, maybe unluckily for Peter Odenwingi, he did all four of those things. Didn't get his move, was booed by fans on his return and... Moved in the summer, not to the club that he wanted, QPR, because they'd gone down that summer, but instead to Cardiff again on deadline day. Um, then played out his top flight career in the Premier League with five goals in 42 matches across three seasons for Cardiff and then Stoke, leaving behind 30 Premier League goals in 87 games for West Brom in what was a very successful period for the Baggies when they were in the top half, semi-regularly as it were, and from one comedy spot to another. Will Grigg. Suggested by Andrew McGill. Thank you. Um, this was another that played out on television on the Netflix documentary, Sunderland Until I Die, of course. So January transfer window winds down with Josh Madger departing for Bordeaux after a fantastic half a season for Sunderland. 5.65 million, I think. Um, Sunderland were desperate for a striker. The scene of Stuart Donald negotiating with Wigan text calls was absolutely hilarious for a neutral, of course, and a Newcastle fan, I must imagine. Um, for Sunderland fans, it must have been absolutely mortifying given the uh, club situation some years on now. Um, but £3 million was the fee for more than half of what Josh Madger was sold for, despite the opening negotiation being around £1.25 Oh dear, if you're Wigan, you must have been rubbing your hands together on the phone with obviously your shoulder crooking the uh, phone against your ear. So, absolute stupid business. He's scored five League One goals for Sunderland. He's since gone out on loan to MK Dons and is now back with Sunderland at the time of speaking, of course, the, for the 2021-22 season. A uh, few shout-outs, a few of my suggestions here. Rubinho to Manchester City. Same night as Dimitar Berbatov to Man United was supposed to be the beginning of something special for City as they got new owners and they were supposed to rule the world immediately. Rubinho thought he was at Manchester United, uh, thought he was going to Chelsea as well on the same day. It must have been quite the day for Rubinho. <laughs> um, obviously, he couldn't cut in the Premier League away from home, the old wet windy night on Stoke, bollocks, but uh, <laughs> came into pass really. They're probably the most vivid um, example of this being played out for real. 
Um, Javier Mascherano to West Ham United in 2006, played five games, still illegal though, um, and then quickly got his move to Liverpool and um, Barcelona where he was extremely successful. Andre Santos, one of them, fabled five, uh, fabled four for uh, Arsenal in 2011. Uh, I spoke of it a few weeks back, an absolute shocker of a uh, of a transfer there. Also see Park Chu Young for an even bigger shocker. Chris Samba, a legend at Blackburn, potentially could have been anyway. Um, moved to Zenit, moved to Chris, moved to QPR, and absolutely shocking six months he had there, and unfortunately cost QPR 12 million and probably why they got themselves into quite the hole chasing that Premier League dream there, unfortunately. Alfonso Alves of Middlesbrough, a classic case of Eredivisie scorers flopping hard, despite scoring, I think he did score a hat-trick in that 8-1 win over Manchester City on the final day of the 07-08 season. Uh, scored a couple of goals against Man United as well, which might have just loved playing um, at the Riverside against Manchester opposition, perhaps. And finally, and I can't believe Nobody mentioned him, Andy Carroll, Super Andy Carroll. He's got a good goal against Man City, admittedly, in a 3-1 win. Uh, but apart from that, came in at the same time as Luis Suarez, cost a lot more money, £35 million, which shows that the tax on supposedly good young English talent is a lot higher than, say, Luis Suarez, who was around £20 million, uh, from Ajax. And who had the better Liverpool career? It's hard to tell, really. So after this short break, we'll be going to Ukraine via Milan and London for a quick player profile on Andrei Shevchenko. Welcome back. Now, only three centre-forwards have won the Ballon d'Or since 1994. Out-and-out centre-forwards anyway, and I'm not counting Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo, original Ronaldo. Michael Owen and, of course, Andrei Shevchenko. 2004, he won it, and it wasn't even his greatest scoring year, at least in Serie A, uh, the trophy that he won to earn this tr- to earn this accolade, you must imagine. Perhaps it was due to the Euros being won by Greece. Um, no big names really showing up at Copa America. Adriano won the golden boot there, but uh, was he feasibly going to win Ballon d'Or? Probably not, although if you played PES 5 at the time, best player on the game. And among the best strikers of his time was probably Shevchenko. Won Serie A with AC Milan, coming off the back of the previous season. The Champions League where he scored, of course, the winning penalty at Old Trafford against Juventus. But it all started at Dynamo Kiev, where he gained invaluable experience in the Champions League. He's got a hat-trick against Barcelona in a 4-0 win. You may remember some of the older some of the older listeners here. I, I certainly wasn't around then. Um, I was around, I just wasn't following football <laughs> because I was too young. And in that season, they got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. This is probably one of the last great days of Dynamo Kiev. We had a fantastic team in the 80s, um, even older listeners might remember. Uh, but in the 90s, this was probably the dying days of Rome here, a quarterfinal in 98, a semi-final in 99, cruelly eliminated by Bayern Munich. And what a different different life I probably would have had if Manchester United beat Dynamo Kiev in the Champions League final or even lost to Dynamo Kiev in the Champions League final but there we are we're all here for a reason so after that after that uh, stunning display uh, by Shevchenko he moved to AC Milan off to a flyer in the first few seasons in terms of goals but couldn't win the league as the league firmly stayed in Turin and Rome through the reigns of Juventus Roma and Lazio of course and then the following couple of seasons, 2003, the near treble, oh, getting far in the Coppa Italia, getting far 
in the uh, Champions League. Of course, winning it, scoring the winning penalty and coming up a little bit short in the league. Won again by Juventus, but AC Milan would finally win Serie A in 2004. And 2004-05 season will probably go down as potentially the most heartbreaking for Shevchenko on a professional basis. He missed the penalty that cost AC Milan the Champions League, of course, going 3-0 up. Thanks to the likes of Crespo and Paolo Maldini in the first half in Istanbul against Liverpool. But it is Liverpool in Istanbul, of course. They rolled back to draw 3-3, one on penalties. And Shevchenko continues keeping up this goal record, by the way. 29, 26, 28 in the final days in Milan. And there was nothing to sense a drop-off in form coming. And, of course, being the mid-2000s, being the Premier League TV money was coming up, being the fact that Chelsea had super-rich owners... They had Drogba, but they wanted more. They wanted another centre-forward. They obviously got Shevchenko. They were in the business of winning or attempting to win three in a row. Uh, something only Manchester United have done in Premier League history. Uh, they got power-hungry. They wouldn't win a Premier League whilst he was there. And Shevchenko would remain until the summer of 2009, just in time for Manchester United celebrations of another three in a row Premier Leagues to die down. He would only score 22 goals for Chelsea, only nine of which... We're in the Premier League, so kind of Fernando Torres levels that we spoke of in the previous segment there. And turned out to be a nightmare brought to life. Had to return to AC Milan on loan just to get some respite. He would then obviously return to Dynamo Kiev as well, where it all started. And he retired in the summer of 2012 with the group stage exit of Ukraine at their home tournament that they part hosted the European Championships there. And the sad matter is that, uh, like so many fantastic footballers before him, he didn't get too much opportunities by way of international tournaments, obviously. By luck, or unluck, if that's a word, uh, being born in Ukraine, only getting to play in two tournaments, being 2006 World Cup and Euro 2012. Heartachingly close at some times, really, in playoff defeats between 1998 and 2002. Finally, the stars aligned. Euro 2012 was to be heart-hosted in Ukraine. He scored his last ever goals at that tournament in the opener, a double against Sweden. But with defeat to England, they bowed out in the groups and that would be Andrei Shevchenko's final match. Of course, we've seen him at the Euros since coaching Ukraine to a quarter-final, uh, where, of course, again, they got eliminated by England there. And in the realm of the best striker of the 2000s, He's definitely on the shortlist. I've broke this down to four categories, maybe generalising a little bit here. So we've got all-rounders, we've got target men, we've got pacey finishers, we've got penalty box forwards. And for me, Shevchenko may be in the pacey finishes, maybe on all-rounder as well, but uh, he's definitely in these uh, in this shortlist. So we've got Patrick Clivert, Ronaldo, of course, R9. Thierry Henry, Didier Drogba, Fernando Torres, Wayne Rooney is these all-rounders who can do pretty much everything. I think Andrei Shevchenko could. He had pace to burn. He could obviously finish with a plum. His numbers were just incredible. Championship manager 0-1-0-2 out of this world. So you've got your target men, you've got your Batist Jutas, your Crespos, your Zlatan Ibrahimovic. There's legends in Serie A and legends, of course, all over Europe. Your pacey finishers, Michael Owen, Trezeguet, Raul, PES 5 legend Adriano, Samuel Leto, David Villa, Carlos Tevez, I think can be squeezed into the 2000s uh, decade as well, I think. But again, alongside Owen, Ballon d'Or winner, 
Raul probably should have got a bit better sniff maybe in 2002 had it not been for his uh, future Real Madrid teammate Ronaldo there being so good at the World Cup. And your penalty box forwards, you've got your poachers, you absolutely deadly from six-yard men. Pippo Inzaghi, born offside, but a fantastic uh, striker. If Shevchenko would have stayed for a couple more years, he would have had another Champions League with him in 2007. Uh, Rude van Nistelrooy, of course, one of my favourites. Christian Vieri, you can forget him. And the all-time greatest World Cup goalscorer, Miroslav Klose. And we'll be talking about World Cups next week as we're entering into the international breaks. Sven Goran Eriksson's time with England will be covering and we'll also be covering the most overrated Premier League players. Your suggestions there as a whole who will uh, get the nod. My personal favourite, Virgil van Dijk. Uh, that's one way to get Liverpool fans to stop subscribing to, isn't it? So if uh, you are catching up with us on What If Football, will be on YouTube, Patreon, where... You can subscribe for just £3 a month for tons of uh, bonus content, 350 days a year, and of course, three days a week on the podcast feed here with the Barclays, with with the Naughty Nostalgia podcast, and now ranked as of next week. So if you only listen to the podcast, which is fine, of course, we'll see you on Tuesday. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.